I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello everybody, welcome back to Confessions of a 30-something Drama Queen, your weekly podcast where we all try to navigate adult life and figure out what the effing hell is happening. And that intro is actually really appropriate because I am a woman on the edge this week. I have lots of work commitments, I have social commitments, like three birthdays in the space of one week kind of vibes. I haven't seen my boyfriend in days. Our builders have just told us the reno is starting about three weeks earlier than I had expected. This morning, did a whole shop for this big barbecue we're having tomorrow for the birthdays. Left all my cards at home, didn't I? And then Apple Pay wasn't working. Big F you to Apple Pay for just never working for me. And then to top it all off, I just went to do my hair and I realised I have, my, my voice is literally cracking as I say it. This is the breaking point. I had one single hair tie left and that was not the vibe for the complex hairstyle that I wanted to do. And the rest are gone. Where are they? I don't know. So yeah, turns out the very fine line between my sanity and a mentee B could in fact be a hair tie. That feels very on brand for me, but I digress. Our next trip to Ibiza cannot come soon enough. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Am I prepared for that? Absolutely not. And whilst we're on the subject, not to be all Little Miss won't shut up about her Ibiza trip, but here I go, kicking off the pub with my single most annoying personality trait. Actually, that's a lie. There are probably worse ones, but here we go. As this week's pod goes live, I will actually be, drumroll please, in Ibiza. Shocking, I know on the island, sipping sangria. Actually, no, it won't be because I'm actually not a big fan of it. It just began with an S and I liked how it sounded in the moment. For the second time this month, hopefully. It's literally my favourite place in the world to be. and Maybe that makes me really basic, but I really don't care. But right now, in fact, I am actually feeling the need to give it a code name because apparently I say it wrong and... We're going to go off on a little mini story here, but I need to clear some things up. Uh, A lot of people on the internet have been saying, I say Ibiza wrong in the comments. So in the interest of learning and bettering myself, I thought I'd open up that conversation and ask in one of my vlogs why I was saying it wrong. 
Could I have Googled it? Absolutely. Did I? Clearly not. So <laughs> lazy girl vibes, real lazy girl vibes. So there's a lot of people now telling me how to say it, which is great, but I just need to clear up one thing because I've seen it appear a couple of times. So people have commented saying, oh, you know, all Brits say it this way. So if you're a Brit, that's just how it's said. I don't know if that's right. We probably are just saying it weird because of our accents or whatever. I'm not going to die on that hill and pretend that we're right. But a few people have said in response to that that I should know how to say it because I'm Spanish or I speak Spanish. And I feel like I genuinely do need to clear this up because Ryan and I go a lot. He goes for work. I just go to bunk off. So naturally, I am going to be saying Ibiza a lot in the podcast. And I don't want to offend anybody, you know, but... I need to clear this up. Do I have Spanish heritage? Yes. Do I speak Spanish? Absolutely not. I speak more French than I do Spanish and that's still really not a lot. That being said, I am going to make an effort to learn whilst I'm on this trip because we really do go so much and our favourite little place to get avocado toast is very traditional and I'd like to be respectful to the staff because they don't speak much English at all really and it would just be fun and cute and I just, I did it in France recently when I went and I just, it felt nice even though the French hated me because they were like, please just speak in English. Um, But it was good, it was good to learn. So I am going to make the effort to learn and to try and you know, pick up the accent because I'm also really not good at that. Like, really, really not good at it. Um, but as of recording this, I do not speak any Spanish and I don't have a hang on the correct pronunciation. So if you are Spanish and you're listening to the pod, I'd like to apologise in advance for my butchering of your lovely language, both in my pronunciation of Ibiza and any other words I may come out with in the future. And if you want to blame someone, blame my great grandpa, because I can't take responsibility for my own uh, inabilities, apparently. Um, But we can blame my great grandpa because he brought my great granny over and he didn't let her teach her children Spanish. A story which I can't tell without getting sad and then a little bit angry. So we will park that for another day. Uh, So basically... We have no clue when it comes to Spanish in my family. And also another blame, another external blame that has nothing to do with me. The girl who has been to Spain many, many times and yes, could definitely have learned some Spanish and will be, I will be, what's the word? Uh, Rectifying? Rectifying. I will be rectifying that. But another blame. My school made me take German instead of Spanish. So I'll really be starting from scratch over here, my dude. So just bear with me. Anyway, that was a really weird tangent to go off on, but I felt like it needed clearing up because I feel like there was some kind of misconception that I should be uh, good at speaking Spanish and definitely not the case. Anyway, long ramble telling you why I can't pronounce Ibiza like a real Spanish girl over. Most of you probably don't care anyway. So moving on, this will hopefully have been my second trip of the month to Ibiza for Ryan's shows. Um, Apologies to all of his friends because I bugsied those as soon as the bookings came in. The first trip he's been booked to support Fatboy Slim and I'm recording so far in advance because of this trip so it feels so weird saying that when it hasn't happened yet but hopefully everything went smoothly and we had loads of fun and the trip we're currently on when you're listening to this is for another show of his and then a little vacation, a little vacay if you will. How cringe is that? I'm dying. Anyway, a little vacay tagged onto the end. 
He's been booked and really busy this summer and it feels really strange after two years of everything being shut down, but I'm so proud of him for how he's handled the past couple of years because it was such an uncertain time and the opportunities coming his way right now are so well deserved. So I am like super proud girlfriend, living my best proud girlfriend life, just like following him around Ibiza for the summer and I honestly could not be happier. I have to say another mini tangent here, but something I love And this is a personal preference. It's not Bible. It's not a life instruction or anything like that. But I am really, really loving being in a relationship with someone who is not necessarily doing the same job, but their job has like similarities and it just feels more equal. And like you understand each other's bad days and the pressures and yeah, very happy at the moment. It's just working really well. And I'm really loving that. Like there's something in particular that I I'm really loving in this particular relationship. It makes me really happy because my relationship history has not always read this way. And actually, on that note, I want to give a little backstory before we dive into today's episode and give a brief little history lesson on my romantic relationships in my 20s and just my relationship history, dating life in my 20s. For any of you that don't know, before we like deep dive in to today, because it's going to be a QA. and a I'm excited. So yeah, I was in an 11 year relationship up until the age of 27. So yeah, if you're wondering if you're doing that maths, we did meet when we were at school and you know, eh, childhood sweethearts, whatever they say. Oh God, I hated it when people used to say that to me. It's something, one of the best bits about having moved on from that because it used to make me want to die, not to be dramatic or anything, but no, really like I wanted the ground to swallow me whole every time someone said it. And maybe that was a sign that I shouldn't have been in that relationship. But anyway, um, yeah, I was in an 11 year relationship up until the age of 27 that sat in return. She hit hard. And that relationship, which I won't deep dive into on here because people grow, people change. And I don't think it's fair to hold anyone to who they were like five years ago. I wouldn't want to be held to who I was even four years ago. So I'm going to try and give others the same treatment. But that relationship started off when we were at school, like I said. So very much on the same page in life. And throughout our 20s, our personal beliefs changed, our jobs changed, and it all just started to really fall apart until I made the decision to step away. So really tricky, really hard time. And then I was single for the first time since I was like 15 and having to make all the mistakes and learn all the lessons that everyone else had learned so much earlier on in their life. And it was really, really difficult to do. Thank God for therapists, because it actually would have been hell on earth without mine. So I had some time on my own, some dating time, some time in a toxic on off relationship, all of which taught me a lot. And we jumped into one lesson in particular in episode two, little plug there if you were just joining us today. And I really hope that that one went down well. I'm not even being dramatic when I say I felt like I was bearing my soul in that one. So yeah, it was very personal. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to a little bit of respite today, maybe. We'll see. Anyway, after about 18 months of being single, I swiped on Ryan on Tinder and we 
also actually went to school together. You can tell I really like familiarity in my life. Um, So we kind of reconnected and it was a really big case of right time, right place, right people for us. We'd had similar experiences in like long-term relationships, a career burst in our early 20s and a little bit of alone time in our like mid to late 20s. And then we both have these jobs, like I mentioned earlier, which aren't the same, which is great, but they do have similarities. And obviously, like I said, that's such a plus too. So real right place, right people, right time here. So we've been together for three years now and we're just laying out the like quite literal groundwork to allow us to move in together at the moment. We both work from home and I need quiet. He needs to make noise. So it's not just a case of packing up a few boxes and putting them in someone else's house right now, but we're getting there. But that's a backstory for another pod and I'll probably have a lot more to say on it as we go forward throughout the pod because there's a lot happening but I wanted to give those of you who didn't know a rough overview of my relationship history because today I'm going to be answering some questions on the pod that you guys have submitted via Instagram and I kind of want you guys to know my backstory so you know the place in which I'm giving advice from Um, short of giving you like my you know, childhood hang-ups and all of like the really nitty-gritty in my brain. I want to be as like clear as I can about the place that I am giving advice from. So if you listen to this and you don't feel like I've been in the same ring as you, like if you don't feel like I've been in the ring with you, don't take my advice because sometimes I listen to advice from other people and I'm like, you have very different like attachment issues, you've had very different like histories or you go for very different people and this advice is not advising, it is not translating to me. So if you don't feel like I've been in the ring with you, then don't take my advice. We will all be looking at these questions with our own attachment issues our own past experiences and we might not all see things the same and that's fine it doesn't mean my advice is bad obviously because my advice is great it just means we're just on different waves you know surfing different waves honestly what am I saying today I need to like go and sit and have a wine or something anyway before we jump in If there is anything that I touch on in this pod that you want me to dive into deeper or any pod past or future for that matter please, please, please don't hesitate to let me know. So DM me on Insta at TSDQ podcast and I can't do it without doing the little sing song at the end, TSDQ podcast. (laughs) Um, So DM me on Insta at TSDQ podcast and start the message with a purple heart emoji so I can whiz through the DMs and like pick them out really quickly. So yeah, let me know if you want me to deep dive into anything, but without further ado, let's do the Q&A. So question one, how to get over a breakup when there is no bad blood, it just didn't work. So firstly, I am so sorry that this didn't work out for you, but really pleased that there is no bad blood. This makes things much more simple, even though, of course, it's really sad and I hope that you're both doing really well. I would start by sorting all of your joint things you have together from bills to property or even just stuff at each other's houses, whatever it is that needs sorting, get it sorted. And that should be super quick and easy if there's no bad blood. If one of you is moving out of the place that you're living and the other is staying, you each need to be clear and firm and discuss your boundaries on when that needs to happen by. And that will completely depend on your situations and your life. So I can't advise on how long is too long there. Um, But once you've divided everything up, it's super easy to move on to phase two, which is just cutting the cord. 
lots of people think I'm very controversial in this and I've given this advice out a lot like personally and some people they're like yeah okay I can do that and some people are like no no way I could never do that but I've had enough therapy and enough breakups to know that this is the quickest way to heal for both parties and sometimes the best way to do something doesn't always feel the easiest at first but the hardest things to do always deliver the best results and in this case it's also Actually, even though it feels slightly more brutal and more raw at the time, it's actually just kinder for each of you to give each other your space to heal and to move on than to kind of like keep in touch. Um, So yeah, I would cut the cord after that. Cold turkey, no contact, give yourself time to adjust your own company again, time to heal, time to go out and have fun whenever you're ready. At first, you might get the whole weekend anxiety. That was a real thing for me. Screw the Sunday scaries that people get like sometimes before they have to go to work on a Monday. I had the Friday frights a whole two days alone with myself. Absolute torture for the first couple of months. And I would do my best to fill every second of that time. Now we're like four, five years later down the line. God, I can't even remember how long it's been. I will savour every ounce of free time I can possibly get because I learned to love being alone. Anyway, slight tangent there, but give yourself time to adjust because even when it's a clean breakup, it can feel really hard at first. And I would also advise not filling every second of your free time for months and months on end like I did. At first, when you're sad, of course, fill your time with the people that make you happy. But the longer you put off adjusting to being alone and, you know, left with your own thoughts, the longer you'll be dragging out your healing process. I did that and it was a really rough six months. So don't do what I did. Give yourself time to heal. It will speed the whole process up and you'll be back to yourself in no time. And by the way, when I say no contact, I really mean it. Do not text them. We have all had that feeling, especially with the Friday frights. But honestly, no contact and going cold turkey is the fastest way to heal. And like I said, it is kinder to both parties. So text your friends, text your family, text your therapist, but don't text them. Okay, next question. Moving in with your partner and doing it the right way. Tips, finances, etc. Firstly, congrats, as I assume you are planning this and it's really exciting, but I know it's also quite a tricky one to navigate sometimes too. It requires a lot of compromise from both parties and sometimes you really, really have to pick your battles. Example, I once had a partner who didn't want to live more than 10 minutes commute to work, but they worked in the centre of Brighton, so it would make our cost of living really quite expensive. But as an example on how to resolve that, sometimes you have to kind of look at how long you'd each be happy with. So I was happy with anything up to a 30 minute commute and then there was the 10 minute commute and then we had to meet in the middle or you say, okay, you can have that, but it also needs to have X, Y, and Z. So something you see yourself as a non-negotiable and then also not cost the earth because you don't want to outprice yourself because someone has like a slightly unreasonable non-negotiable. And then you say, and if we can find that, great. And if not, we need to widen our search. And then you see how it goes because you might actually find somewhere. You might not, and then they will have to compromise. Um, There's a lot of compromise and working together that is needed if you're like searching for a place together. And sometimes you really have to almost be very matter of fact and take the emotion out of it. 
I really struggle with this as I'm very specific about my space. I'm real like older sibling who has never had to share a room kind of vibes. And sometimes I have to really step back and go about it in more of a like business negotiation way, which is very unsexy, but it gets us to where we need to be. But anyway, view everything together. Also, I have learned this the hard way and ended up with a flat that had a serious damp issue, yellow bathroom and no shower. Yeah. If you view everything together and then any issues with the property crop up whilst you're there, no one is solely responsible. So it avoids any like bad feelings, no resentment, nothing like that. Oh, and discuss your budget and non-negotiables even before you start your viewings and contacting estate agents. It kind of helps to show where you're on the same page and where you're not before you start like speaking to estate agents and doing any of the like admin or mental work over it. But also make sure you have fun because viewing places is so fun. Like, honestly, I love viewing houses so much. I would love to make it like a part-time hobby. Would absolutely love that. I should have been one of those influencers that like goes around people's houses and shows it and then puts it on YouTube. That would be goals. Anyway, moving on. In terms of like physically moving in together, I'm not sure if you're looking for a place or you're moving into an already existing place or you've already found a place or whatever. So I'm just going to give all the info here. But make mood boards together on how you want to like decorate or furnish and make sure you discuss your budgets before you even get started. Even just down to like, even if it's not like a full budget of like, this is maximum spend, but it's like retailers that you're happy to buy from because you're happy with the price points of the items. Like, are we going Ikea? Are we going swoon editions? Are we going like crazy antiques? I don't know. But yeah, definitely have that conversation first. Sometimes it gets a little bit tricky if one person just doesn't care. But in the past, I've just asked them what they're happy to go halves on and shown them like what I'm thinking of getting or like the final three items and then ask them to choose. And if there's little like extra bits and bobs that I love, but they're not like a need, I'll just buy them myself. It, it all depends on your partner though if they like love homeware stuff and you can pick it out together then that's great but if they really don't care and they don't want to spend a lot of money on home stuff I always end up buying the stuff myself and I don't know if this is right so you know take my opinions with a pinch of salt but I just watched my mum growing up and she worked full-time so she had a lot of her own like disposable income so she would always just buy stuff and her and my dad weren't like always 50-50 with everything or putting everything on like a joint account. So I don't know if my way is right, but I do know that they never argued about money. So I have always carried that behavior on where possible. But like I said, I don't know if it's right. Maybe I'm like messing up somewhere. In terms of moving into somewhere that is already existing, so if you're moving in to your partner's like already existing home, or just in terms of space splitting when moving in together, it all depends on the couple and each of your individual needs. So for example, I have a lot of clothes and a lot of makeup, so I take up a fair bit of space. And Ryan also has a lot of equipment for his job and he works from home too. So he has that and then he has a lot of cooking stuff as well. And the way we have kind of decided to do it in terms of like, for example, his cooking stuff, because we kind of have to take all of our work related things. I'm saying that with like the quotation, I'm doing that weird thing with my hands where I'm putting our work stuff in quotation marks because... Uh, some people might not think that clothes are work, but in my world they are. Um, but in terms of like the personal things, which cooking items, cooking utensils are a prime example of, we've decided that we're going to like pick 
whoever has like the better or newer item. So if someone has a better like pot or pan, for example, and then condense accordingly. So we're kind of merging our items equally, hopefully. But we're also working on building new storage systems and adding in new furniture in order to make space for each of our like clothes and all of our stuff too. Over time, we plan to extend, so this will also help. But in order to make sure that Ryan feels comfortable and valued in the short term whilst moving into my house, I'm trying to make as much space for him as I possibly can. So, and my point in saying this is I'm saying don't let someone just give you a draw. You need to make space for each other and even down to not just giving the exact amount of space needed, you need to give the other person space to grow because it kind of says, I really value you and I want you to be comfortable being here long term. In terms of actual finances, I don't know if I am a pro at this, but I'll give it a go. Um, I obviously touched on discussing budgets earlier. I am a big believer in 50-50. I do have some exceptions for that, but it's a story for another day, maybe another pod. But like I said, this is just based on what I've seen growing up and I have had two full-time working parents and I know not everyone is in the same boat in terms of jobs or income splits. So take this with a pinch of salt. Some couples like to be fully separate, some like to be joint only, but I like to be somewhere in the middle. I like a joint account for bills, your food shops, your date nights, your essential furniture or home expenses. And you agree how much you'll both contribute to that joint account a month. And then I like the rest of my money to stay in my account and I can spend or save what I like from that. But yeah, that's just me. And I don't know if there's anything in particular that I am missing. And obviously it depends on whether you are renting or you have a mortgage together. And that is a whole different can of worms. So I'm not going to get into that today. And also not an expert in that. So I'm going to leave that one there, but hopefully there was something a little bit helpful in here. But yeah, everyone is so different and your partner and their beliefs and what they have seen growing up and how they've been taught to manage money might be very different. So it's definitely a bit of a negotiation. I'm a big fan of like giving relationships a little bit of business negotiation. But again, some people might think that's really unsexy, but sometimes it's the most helpful tactic in a relationship. So anyway, moving on. Next question. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Do I text the guy myself after we spent the night together or do I let him come to me? Now, I'm a big believer that if someone wants to be with you, they will. And there's very little you can do to scare them off. That might sound crazy, but I will die on this very small hill here. If someone likes you and has already decided in their mind that they are interested in pursuing a relationship with you, 
texting them early, kissing them on the first date, or even sleeping with them on the first date, or not, will make zero difference. If it does, they weren't interested in the first place. So if being with them in a relationship is your intent, it's a great way to test the waters. I'm assuming it's your intent because if you're not interested in a relationship with this person and you're just chilling or it's a friends with benefits situation, then you going to them and messaging them, still no biggie. But yeah, to cut a ramble short, if you want to message them, message them. I am not a big believer in games. I have been there, done that. It has never worked out. In my opinion, games are silly and I feel like a broken record after last episode, but games are silly because you can't play people into having feelings for you because you're not really being you. So be genuine in your actions and it will very quickly show you who is genuine and who isn't. I just want to touch on this next question quick. I don't have a lot to say. I don't know if I'm going to be able to discuss a lot here because I have a very firm standpoint on this, but it is just boyfriends liking other girls' photos. And guys, I would love more context. If you ever feel like you want to give more context, feel free because I would love to know who these girls are. So, you know, if you ever drop a question in the question box and feel like you need to give more context, slide into my DMs. Give me more info. I would love that. Um, But yeah, it would all depend on who these girls are. So I'm assuming they're not other girls in your friendship circles because to me, that's not weird. Like if... Ryan likes one of my best friend's photos. I'm not going to think that's weird. If he leaves inappropriate comments, that's not as per his personality. So then that would definitely be weird. But liking a photo when it's like friendship circles and they know each other well, not weird. Also, are they colleagues, but like colleagues and friends? Because again, while some may feel protective in this situation, I personally wouldn't read into that. Like my partner works with other female producers and vocalists and I don't think that it's weird at all if he were to like their photos. However, I have had friends whose partners are constantly liking photos from like Instagram models or girls that just post a lot of photos in their underwear and that for me, that is my line. That is the no. I don't like that. But it definitely depends on how secure your partner makes you feel in your relationship. If they're not making you feel secure and then they're liking like even a few of your friends' photos, then yeah, it would make me feel weird. But in my current relationship, Brian makes me feel very secure. So when it's like my friends, people he knows through work, I don't feel weird. But if we are talking Instagram models and just girls that post loads of photos in their underwear, I draw the line there. That is that is my line and I would die on that hill. I will be single forever and die on that hill because that is the line. Um, but like I said, completely depends on your partner and how secure they make you feel. So yeah, that's my take on that. The next question isn't so much of a question, but more of a feeling, but I felt like it was a really important one to share. Um It says, 31-year-old and single and afraid I'll be alone forever. And one of the reasons I wanted to pick this out is I used to say this all the time when I broke up with my ex at 27. And I think I even said it three minutes before Ryan and I matched on Tinder. No, actually, I believe the line was, well, it's this or cats as I opened up the app ready to give it a one last try because I was being really dramatic that day. It obviously wouldn't have been one last try, but I was feeling very dramatic in the moment. And I really mean it when I say I wouldn't have actually given up. I was just really tired that day. But when I look back, I always knew in my heart that 
even though I would say I'll be alone forever, it actually wouldn't be the case because growing up, so many of my family members found their forever people in their 30s and 40s. They lived first, they enjoyed their time, they made mistakes. You can tell they're very obviously Gen X and I really don't think they worried as much as our generation do. They really lived or maybe they did worry, but this is just my observation. All of the Gen X in my family really seem to like live life and they found their people in their 30s and 40s. And so I would just never really worried. I always knew that I would find someone. It might just be later in my life and that would just be my timeline. Because of them, I always trusted that I would find my person. And I think that hope definitely kept me open and stopped me from spiraling, which is really important because if you're busy spiraling, you miss out not just on romantic moments, but non-romantic, fantastic moments in life. It's one of the things that annoys me so much about my general anxiety that I have. I'm like, I'm missing out on so many amazing moments in life because I'm too busy in my own head spiraling. Anyway, that's enough of what's going on in my head for one day. But another thing I always trusted was that I didn't need another half to be whole. Yeah, I'm back with the cringe cliches. We love it. We love to see it. But I knew I would love my life regardless of whether I found someone or not. There actually isn't anything wrong with being single and staying single. It's just society likes to make us feel like it's bad, but it's really not. One thing dating actually taught me is that I would rather be single for my entire life than spend it in relationships that weren't right for me. I'd been in a very long, very unhappy relationship and I knew coming out of that there was absolutely no way in hell I was settling again. And also there are so many perks to being single. So whilst you're playing the field and staying open, staying optimistic, I want you to literally bask in all of the wonderful aspects of being single. Like, for example, peaceful alone time. Yes, I'm an introvert, but very aware this is some people's idea of actual fresh hell. Smaller food bills, an abundance of free time, literally not even thinking about body hair. Always watching what you want to watch on TV. Watching the Beyonce Coachella documentary and performing it to your dog on a Friday evening. God, I miss my living room performances. I used to do it in my old flat and I never do that anymore. Picking where you live with zero compromise. In fact, never discussing a home decor related decision before going just full steam ahead with it. I could go on. There are so many perks. Being in a relationship, a happy, secure, you know, healthy relationship is so lovely, but so is being single. It was honestly one of the best times of my life, especially being a little bit older so I could live separately to my family and friends and just have so much freedom to be carefree and so, so selfish. So don't settle, don't stress, enjoy your life. And most importantly, please, I want you to do this tonight. Enjoy sleeping diagonally across the bed. Oh, nothing better. Absolutely nothing better. I literally feel comfy just thinking about it. Oh God. Anyway, next question is, are you scared of aging and does this make me shallow? My answer to this first off is absolutely not. No, it does not make you shallow. We've grown up in the age of our media telling us that wrinkles are something that women should be trying to get rid of. And yes, you can be aware of this and still have a forehead full of Botox. And I'll get to that in a hot second. They also tell us anyone over 25 goes into the oldies category on a talent show and that grey hairs are not the vibe. I know a lot of us grew up like 80s, 90s, 2000s, which was a terrible time for body issues. So our generation has a lot to unpack here. 
I mean, we all do, don't we? Like my mum's generation was the slim fast generation and there were so many fad diets and Gen Z are probably going to be messed up, but in the opposite way because they'll all want like an arse or filler or something. Anyway, I can't get into that right now because I will be here all day and it's not the question, but I fully am just going to agree with the bodies are not fast fashion statement that is going around right now and leave it there because it is so true. There should not be body trends. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Anyway, back to what the actual point was. We are so messed up when it comes to aging and bodies and everything. And I am definitely not immune to that. My grey hairs hit around the same time my skin started changing. And that was all in the year leading up to 30. I know I should probably be grateful because some people have it a lot earlier in their 20s. But it all happened around the same time. And it was just too much for me. It was also during COVID and my mental health was so bad and it really did a number on me in a way that I never thought it would. So I have not embraced aging as much as I'd hoped I would when I was younger, but actually I felt better the second I shared that it was something that I was struggling with. And I don't have the answer to feeling better, but I know that I'm never going to be any younger than I am right now, right this second. And I know if I am blessed to live to a ripe old age, I'll be so pissed that I spent my healthiest years worrying about it and not living life to the absolute fullest I could. Also take what I'm about to say next with a pinch of salt if you want to, because we all know I like to look good, but we are so much more than our appearance. Like really, make a list of all the best bits about you, the bits that make you, you, And I cannot imagine for a second anything about the way you look is going to top that list. So make your list. I'll go first. Let's do this. Group project. I'm smart. Like my memory is so good. It's scary. I'm kind. On occasion, just, you know, on a full moon, I'm funny. I'm a wonderful daughter, sister, partner, friend. I love people really hard and I love having fun and cooking a banging green pesto cheesy veggie pasta bake. Those are the best bits about me. Not all of them, but just some. And they're what make me me and they far outweigh my appearance. I also make a cracking podcast. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, (laughs) just toot my own horn. Um, Those are some of the best bits about me. It's not even all of them. They're what make me me and they far outweigh my appearance. So yeah, that is what I come to in my head when I am spiralling about ageing, if someone makes me feel bad about ageing, that is what I come back to. When I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to care about my wrinkles. I am going to be looking back at my life being like, but was it fun? Did I do the things I wanted to do? I'm not going to care about how I look. And my appearance also is not the best bits about me. So yeah, that is where I go to when I'm spiralling about my appearance and getting older. And Also, just if you are really conflicted about ageing, but then also any anti-ageing treatments, just know that it's okay to believe two things at once. Like, I am allowed to say all of this stuff and have a forehead full of Botox, and I just really wanted to uh, touch on that before I move on. Two things can be true at once. You can believe that you are so much more than your appearance, so much more than your wrinkles, so much more than your grey hairs, and still care and do something about them it doesn't make you shallow it just honestly makes you a human we have grown up in a time where our media trains us from very young that you know aging is like the worst thing and that women are 
like past it once they start like showing wrinkles or whatever and that is not true and honestly this is a mini tangent but I honestly think society does it because there is nothing scarier than a woman that is confident and has wisdom and has lived life and like learns stuff and like knows stuff and it distracts them from all the things that they're great at and lets them live a happy confident like thriving life I don't know but yeah that's my little random tangent I have like a weird conspiracy theory about it but um my weird ramble aside, I don't have the answer. Botox doesn't make the fear magically go away, that's for sure. But be kind to yourself and know that it's okay to feel the fear of aging. But just remind yourself that your appearance is not the most important thing about you. How do you know whether it's been a rough patch or your long-term relationship is over? This is a really tough one. I have been there. Are we just having a hard time? Should we call it a day? But first, I think we need to define a rough patch. So I actually did some Googles, like really went out of my way, real like GCSE coursework project vibes here because um, I'm quite emotionally tied to this question and I really wanted to make sure I did it justice. So did my Googles and some of them I agreed with, some I didn't. But there are three key factors in it being just a little rough patch and you will be all good and you'll come out the other side. And they are the problems you are facing are temporary. Your current partner is the type of person you'd be seeking if you were single, which I actually thought was really interesting. And I guess it does make sense because it shows you still want to be with them. And the third one is you are able to resolve the conflicts in a like calm, reasonable way. It's more than a rough patch, apparently, according to Google, not according to me, because I am not Bible. Um, but it's more than a rough patch if you avoid talking about your problems or the rough patch itself, or you do talk, but you never actually resolve anything. You hold back your feelings. You start resenting your partner. You avoid doing things in public or socialising with others. Uh, now, for me, like I said, I've been there. That last one it was all of those things. So I don't, I don't feel like it's far off. There are a few that I don't agree with, but, but generally speaking, that's how we're defining a rough patch. Now, I'm not sure if what everyone constitutes as a rough patch is the same. So we're just going to go with my generic rough patch advice, I guess. So maybe you're bickering a little or just being snappy with each other, or maybe you're just lacking a little intimacy at the moment. In those cases, I would always take a step back and look at what's going on for both of you right now. And maybe if your partner is more closed off and not as communicative and you're not sure what's going on with like work, family, friends, then it's your starting point to sit and chat like you would with a friend. Like, And this might seem really obvious to some, but some partners are real internal processors and they might not be super quick to say if work is really weighing them down or they're worried about something. But that would be my starting point. If you've got an internal processor, it sounds like I'm talking about a computer, but um, if your partner processes things very like internally, just chat with them. Doesn't need to be a we need to sit down and talk situation. It can just be a low key whilst you're chilling out together kind of thing. Like you're watching Netflix and you're like, oh, is that thing at work all good? Like, how is that going? And you can just prize that information out of them really, really gradually. But once you're as clued up as you can be with what's going on, both for your partner, but also for you, because you need to look at yourself as well, you can take a look at the bigger picture and see if there's a reason that they are more quiet. Maybe they've had family drama. Maybe work is really stressing them. So they aren't really feeling super sexy right now. 
So many different things affect our like romantic relationships. And normally, if it's a very small rough patch, I would say you can usually pinpoint very easily what the cause and effect is. And then you know if you maybe need to cut your partner a little bit of slack or you can see if there's a way you can better support each other. And if it's not looking like external factors are at play here, then you need to look more internally at your relationship and see if you can pinpoint what could be at play here or have a discussion about how you're both feeling. And this will be harder or easier depending on how self-aware you both are and your communication styles but if it's just a small rough patch this is a conversation that should be fairly straightforward and there might be a simple reason like someone is feeling like they're taking on more responsibility in some aspects of your relationship or they're missing quality time and they need reassurance or even they're just feeling a little bit unappreciated I would bet good money it all just depends on their love language And with these scenarios, if it is just a rough patch, you should, in theory, leave the conversation feeling like things can improve going forward or that you've learned something. If things become heated, they blow up, there's an argument, anything like that, then I would personally say it's a sign of things being a little bit more of a rough patch because there's something at play in terms of communication here. That's just my personal opinion. Like I said, everyone's definition of a rough patch might not be the same, but if conversations are intense in this way, or even if your rough patch is more long term, it's more likely to be more than just a rough patch. But don't hold me to this because, like I said, everyone's different. And I was once so unsure as to whether it was a rough patch or something more. I stayed for a year longer than I should have just to be sure because I was so scared I was reading the situation wrong. So everybody is different. And yeah, the year I stayed was about three times longer than the rough patch in case anybody is wondering. So so yeah, everyone is different. Every rough patch can be different. This is just my general feelings. But if nothing else, your gut will eventually tell you because mine did. And that moment when I finally realised it was over was a real weight off my shoulders. So hang in there. I hope you're okay. And I hope this was helpful. Our last question is, I am 25 and I worry I haven't done enough crazy 20-year-old stuff yet. I worry time is running out. Dude, I literally did zero wild things until I turned 27 or 28. And I'm still experiencing new fun things now. My mum, who will probably not appreciate me sharing her age, but FYI, to give you a range, she is now retired, would still have fun nights out when I was a child or go on holidays without me and my brother. And she's still doing new fun things with her girly friends now she's retired. And don't even get me started on my dad because he is too wild and I am glad he's calmed down now and just plays golf religiously. My mum would disagree with that, but it's better than him still loving Jaeger bombs. Anyway, my point is you have all the time and obviously we don't want to put off our fun to a day that's not promised, but you have all the time. Do not worry. Your time is not running out. Worrying is very counterproductive to the having the fun. So try not to do that so much. When you worry, make a plan and turn that worry into like something proactive. This is what I like to do because I am obviously fueled by anxiety. If I was a car, I would have a good large tank of anxiety to get me going every day. Um, anyway, that's not the point. If this were my worry, I would make a bucket list of all the things I want to do in life. And it can be anything that you yourself class as wild, you know? doesn't need to be someone else's definition of wild then I would tell my fun friends because some of my friends would be like 
that's nice, hun. You go do that. I'll make you a tea the next day when you're like hanging out your ass. But your other friends who are happy to do the stupid stuff with you or at least stand with you and cheer you on whilst you're having your wild moments, go get them. Get your bucket list and go get your friends and then make time in your diary to do those things. Obviously, be safe and stuff because I'm also that friend, but go and have fun and live life. But also don't stress that you don't have time. Our society really brought us up thinking that there's an expiry date on fun, which then makes us worry. But like I said, literally the exact opposite of fun. But also, if you're just feeling like you should be doing crazy wild stuff, don't do it. Only do things that you want to do, not what you think you should be doing, because everyone's idea of fun is really, really different. Trust me, my whole friendship group, everyone's idea of fun, very different. I really want to make a bucket list now. I actually made one in my 20s. I'm not sure what happened to that. I think I've lost it, but I'm sure I managed to get some stuff on it done. Maybe I'll make a new bucket list, but a fun one, because I probably put loads of boring adult stuff like owning a house on the last one. Yeah. A fun bucket list. A, what What do you call that? A fuck, a fuck it list? Yeah, a fuck it list. For the monetization gods, that's spelled F-U-C-K-E-T list. Not the bad words because no one's yet clarified to me what I can and can't say on here. So I will be keeping it PG until we have that meeting. But I'm going to go work on that one and I'll update you in an upcoming episode on my fuck it list. <laughs> We can do it together like a weird little group project. But until then, I am off to go faceplant a giant plant-based bacon cheeseburger and some rosemary fries down at Honest Burger. And I will see you guys again on Monday at 7am. And also don't forget to follow or subscribe, whatever the word is. I'm still not sure on my wording. I keep saying I need to go film the podcast. Yeah, you can take the girl off YouTube. But yeah, anyway. Don't forget to subscribe to 30 Something Drama Queen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and tag me at TSDQ Podcast if you share it on Instagram. Oh, and leave me a review if you're liking it. Other people say it, so I'm guessing it helps. Love you, bye.